I share a connection with today's guest. We both worked in other forms of media while trying to make it as a filmmaker. Christian Nilsson has had quite a year and a half. Just Google his name. He was able to get some great work out there during the height of the coronavirus pandemic. His next film, titled Dashcam, just hit VOD this past Tuesday. It's about a news editor that has an editing piece about a routine traffic stop that ended with two deaths. That said editor is then inadvertently sent some footage he wasn't supposed to ever see. From there, a lot of suspense and paranoia ensues. Hear more about the film on today's show. Welcome to The Basement, everybody. Christian Nilsson, welcome back to the basement, my good man. Thank you. Happy to be here. All right. I say welcome well, back. Because, welcome, to uh, my, welcome, to, welcome to my basement. So It's your basement. Awesome. I'm, I'm, not, I'm in Florida, man. I don't have a basement. I'm in my office technically, but um, yeah, no, I say welcome back to the basement because there was a technical hiccup first time we tried to do this, but here we are again. I'm happy you're here. I'm happy you're back. And Old I friends really- at this point. What? Yeah, we're, yeah, dude, yeah, basically, man. (laughs) Um, uh, At the time we're recording this, Tuesday, October 19th, a feature-length film you put out, Dash Cam, just dropped on, I believe, multiple VOD platforms. Uh, I have seen it already. It is a pretty remarkable little indie film. Just uh, real quick, throw the elevator pitch out to the audience here. I mean, we'll touch on it a little bit later, but uh, what's it about? Well, the film is it's a psychological thriller that follows a reclusive editor who, who dreams of becoming a news editor one day. And he's working on what he believes to be a run-of-the-mill story about a tragic traffic stop gone wrong, resulted in the death of both the officer and the person that was pulled over, um, who happens to be a high-ranking political official. And so as he's working on this news story, He is accidentally sent footage from the governor's office that tells a completely different story. And so he uses his skills as an editor to really investigate and analyze this footage to discover, is there something else in play here? And so is there a story that he's able to break in the morning news or or is this story maybe one that he's made up in his head? Yeah, I feel feel like it was... uh part political thriller at times like it it just i don't know it was i feel like it was a lot of different things it was it was really cool um we'll touch on that in a little bit i just kind of want to get to know you and let the audience get to know you first um like what's your what's your story like what's your resume man (laughs) yeah i mean i'll I'll try to get through it quick but yeah i mean i i I studied film and television and 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 college and always been a thing that I uh, really it's always been a driving force in my life ever since I was really eight years old Um, but I graduated it was uh, really like the start of the recession which was a hard time for anybody graduating college especially with with me too like one film but it was an interesting moment because a lot of news organizations realized that there was a a real opportunity to to add video to their to to their uh, websites and so news outlets were really prioritizing uh, video, specifically on YouTube. And so here I am graduating from college with a degree in film. And I was really the first group 
that was on YouTube, that was familiar with what that was like, what the, what the audience was, how it even worked. And so while I couldn't get a job within the industry, I could get, I found news jobs pretty easily. And so I started working at organizations like the Huffington Post. I was there for a number of years. Um, I've been at BuzzFeed. I've been at Esquire. I've been at Time. I, I'm currently a, a video journalist at uh, The Atlantic. And so was really able to stretch my storytelling muscles in a non-fiction way and was able to uh, familiarize myself with, with directing talent on, on more documentary sets and, and, and all that. So I've, I've always been, I've always had this, uh, my off hours working on, on my fiction projects and the things that have always really driven me. But my career has been being, I guess, a somewhat successful video journalist. Like I'm like, if you look at my, at my LinkedIn, it will say Emmy award-winning video journalist. And so like, I, I've, I've, I've had, I've had successes in, in that field. And so in the recent years, I've realized that, maybe I had put, I'd given myself some excuses as far as like why I wasn't working on film things, not enough time. Uh, the, the, the nonfiction stuff pays a little bit more. And the pandemic, if nothing else, really showed me that I was, I was maybe in my way a little bit more than, than, um, than I had acknowledged previously. And so I know, I know you want to talk about unsubscribe, but dash cam, this is, this is really my, this is my first feature film. And it's not a coincidence that it is, about someone working in news. Like I, I was Tim Webb once upon a time. I was a host for, for the Huffington Post and uh, working on these pre-recorded videos. And so this was kind of my moment to kind of meld those two worlds and tell an engaging story, or what I hope is an engaging story, um, while also leaning on my own news and politics background. I how is that? Was that a good? Is that that a pretty... is that's a good jumping off point here because um no I feel a kinship to that I mean I, I wasn't a I my background's in television too I worked at a uh, I mean you and I probably are about the same age judging by when you said you got out of college because I I got out like little after the reset the 08 recession and um, I mean I started jumping on movie sets because I'm from up in the Northeast and. Hollywood was in Boston at the time. And so I was there a lot. And, but when all that kind of dried up, I needed a job. And it was my father that was like, you should go work at a news station. I'm like, I don't want to work in news. I don't want to do a local news grind. And I ended up really liking it. And I worked pretty much, I started in master control and um, I made my way over to the control room, working in graphics and whatnot. And before I ended up, I don't want to give you my entire resume here. This is about you, but I, I ended up, you know, being able to transfer that and move that down to network television and whatnot. So it, it's kind of cool to talk to another guy who's try, who's a filmmaker, who's also kind of had a background working in, you know, pre-recorded well, narratives. I stuff. mean, what, what, I've, I've said this in like my own like news circles, but like, it, so you look at the 1980s, where did you find filmmakers? Filmmakers were coming out of music videos, right? Yeah. And then look at the 90s. It was, it becomes music videos and commercials. Mm -hmm. I think if you look at this next wave of, of filmmakers, like, like the, the young 30s that are now able to start uh, having a little bit of uh, autonomy in their, in their careers, I think that you're going to find a real common thread of YouTube producers, BuzzFeed producers, news producers, because that was, that's where the jobs were when we were 
really entering the the job market. So, um, yeah. yeah, I don't think it's coincidence that you and I share backgrounds. I think that we're going to hear that uh, a bit more often as time goes on. Yeah, because there, there's a lot of people at, at I mean, I, I've worked at the local level and I, I worked at the network level and I've talked to so many people that like have a screenplay in their back pocket that never, never got made. And that, you know, they never took a chance or rolled the dice on it or tried to get some little bit of money. And I, I think there's, uh, I just think there's like a really cool demographic of people that have tried different things in media that worked in news that I'm not trying to knock them, but like it never went, came to fruition, but it's just kind of like a, they just, everybody just has beautiful stories from that industry. And it's also very cutthroat and it can uh, make you uh, uh, go through a dark phase in life. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's, it's a gauntlet for sure. Oh yeah. Um, with that being said, kind of just jumping off what you just said with, you know, the future of filmmakers uh, with you being one right now with a film out, uh, what made you want to make films? Like what, wh who was, what did you kind of go to? Like what films did you watch? What filmmakers out there were you all about? Just, I don't know. Give well, me a, a therapist would probably tell you that I was just a, a middle child and I was seeking uh, validation from my parents. Um, <laughs> But uh, I, I, don't, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was about. I was an eight-year-old and my brother had, that was, he was a few years older than me, was playing with my, our, our dad's camera and, was, and like had filmed like a funny sketch. Mm -hmm. And I had, like, I remember watching it on the television and thinking, I had never realized that people could do that, that, that movies were made by people and that was something that I had access to. And I remember just filling up marble notebooks with stories of, of things that I wanted to make. And like, I, I started with a lot of uh, historical um, nonfiction, um, which was funny because I, I never, like, I, read, I wrote a, uh, a movie about Julius Caesar. I, I couldn't tell you a fact about Julius Caesar's life beyond him getting stabbed by all his friends. Uh, but like, yeah, but yeah, it was, it, was, it was all that. But fast forward, I'm, the, the, the movies that really speak to me college beyond i love 1960s european cinema specifically uh, italian cinema um i find myself on, on a rainy day with nothing to do I, I i always find myself going back to that catalog either exploring new directors or, or revisiting ones that that i've always uh, been connected to the last year and the last i guess two years and you really see this in dash cam was really into those like gritty 1970s thrillers. And it was, it, it was interesting. Of like, I, I had never visited that moment in, in cinema history. I, I don't know why, but I, I had a, film te a filmmaking teacher, a history of cinema teacher that said, and I don't know why they said this, but they said, we're going to skip the 1970s because nothing big happened. What? And it, so they went, from, they went from French New Wave and then they skipped the 70s. And then we went to like the Steven Spielberg blockbusters. That's cool. And <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I guess like maybe their point was just like they were just tracking the big shifts in the industry. But I think like I, I, there was when I discovered that new Hollywood uh, like moment, I felt connected to cinema in a way that I don't think that I ever did previously. And Dash Kim's not the first movie I tried to make. Um, I, I had a, a, a $1.3 million drama set up a few years ago that, that actually the pandemic actually made us lose funding. We were actually uh, fully cast and ready to go. Yeah, and if you had seen that film, you, you, would have, you would have said like, oh, I see Michelangelo and Antonio. 
Like I see, I see the Fellini vibes of, of that film. Um, it was a slow burn. It was like, it was slightly ironic, but it, it, it said something while saying very little. And where I was when I was making Dashcam was much more in that, that new Hollywood vibe. And um, while I'm putting together projects now for the future, I'm finding myself uh, enjoying playing around in that, in that new Hollywood space. Nice, man. It's, you're you're not the first person to reference uh, Fellini on here. Uh, uh, he's he's been someone who's been talked about a lot with filmmakers who have tried to do dramas, or just like movies where yeah, there's like maybe a, a little tiny little plot going on, but it's really kind of more about what the characters just kind of dealing with and going through. I discovered him, I want to say like recently, and I just I, I I can't believe how much that guy speaks my language, even though his movies aren't in my language. He's just yeah, and also, fun note, uh, Antonioni and Fellini both started as uh, news. Uh, yeah, like, I looked that up recently, yeah. No, that's that, that's great. I take it with that, you being a fan of that era, like, do you got a big Criterion collection? Oh, uh, yeah, you, you might be seeing the corner of it over here. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I do. I, the thing is, I don't, I don't own movies that I don't watch. Like, I feel you. Like, yeah, like it, like there there are there are a group of movies that I find myself going back to over and over again. Like this is an Antonioni movie. Like a very yeah. most people don't really know this one. This is uh, I guess if, pe- if people are listening, I'm holding up uh, Michelangelo Antonioni's The Passenger, which mm-hmm. was a, a Jack Nicholson movie. Um, hard to hard to get your hands on. I, I've literally only seen it on sale once, um, and and decided to buy it. But yeah, it's a, it's a movie that that I. I find myself turning on all the time. Just, just, I really dig it. I've, I've noticed that with people who still got physical media collections. I mean, I, I got one behind me here. I try to, these are pretty much movies that I just want to watch. And if I see them streaming, I go, eh, no, I got it. Um, yeah, but yeah. That, I think that's kind of a, that's a thing with people with physical media. They, they just hold I mean, on this, to- this one in particular though, like this, it's, I, I heard a rumor that Jack Nicholson actually owns the distribution rights of this film. And so, and he, he thinks that this movie is like a fine piece of art. And so he doesn't want it to be out and easily available. So he like, so it was on the Criterion channel for a hot second and now it's taken down and you cannot find it. It is not streaming anywhere right now because I guess because it, it makes that value. I don't know how true that is. Uh, that's the story that I heard. So when I saw this was, this was uh, on sale at, uh, uh, so I bought it. I want to jump into your, I just want to, like I said, I want to touch on unsubscribe. It's a film that came out. It's like like a year and a half. It was during COVID basically. Right. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah. So, so this, I guess the story is uh, in May of 2020, um, my former Buzzfeed colleague, Eric Tabak reached out and just, he had a few questions about about how the box office worked because he had an idea for a YouTube video. He's like, I I think I can make the the number one, movie in the u.s and i'm, I'm gonna make it like a, a, one of my youtube videos and he was asking me how it was possible and so i i, I pitched to him the concept of four walling that if you rent out a movie theater and buy and buy all those tickets all of that movie is, t- is is profit and essentially you'll be you'll be spending money from your right pocket that'll be going into the into your left pocket so you're not really going to lose anything um besides like tax and uh but i said to him like you shouldn't just put one of your YouTube videos on like this, like that's going to be a headline. If you can do that, let's make like how, how like this is going to be the headline that will sell film like $0 
horror film becomes number one movie in the US box office. Like that's a story. So then the next day I wrote Unsubscribe, two days later we were filming Unsubscribe, two weeks later we had the film finished and uh, we, we went to a, a theater I used to work, to work at when I was in high school. They opened up just for the day. Um, we bought out the, the theater five times because of that with all the theaters being closed nationwide becomes the number one movie in the US. And it put a lot of attention on that film, which we actually didn't expect that part. We didn't expect to have as many eyes on that movie as we did. If we did know that, we would have made a much better film. I probably wouldn't have rushed it out as quickly as we did, though we had to rush uh, just because of the nature of the project. But we, we started having people reach out to us asking, is there a feature film here? Are you interested in t- telling a longer version of the story? And it was never meant to be a great film. It was meant to be a funny youtube video that might get might have some jump scares that could accomplish this stunt it was not a film first it was a stunt first and so this one producer had reached out to us and said i think you have something here i think you should expand this to be a longer film a lot of the comments we had gotten was it was similar to to the to the unfriended franchise which i had at that point i had never seen unfriended so um but even just like looking at trailers you can say like oh yes these, these movies are are uh, very very similar vibe. So I had said, you know, how about this other idea? And then I pitched, I kind of cold pitched them dash cam, which had been in the back of my mind for years at that point. And I had just seen, I, it, it was never a one character, one room story when it was in my head. Um, but I, I had always liked that idea of like an editor sitting in a room having to investigate footage. And so, yeah, I, I, I cold pitched a, this producer. He got a bunch of uh, executives from Gravitas on the line within like an hour or two. And I, I kind of repitched it to them. They said, yes, give us, a, give us an outline and, and we'll, we'll, we'll uh, give you a, a decision. And within a week, I was writing the script and then a month later we were filming it. So it was a, that's still a very fast project. Yeah, that's really um, fast. Right? But, uh, but, a much, <laughs> uh, but not as fast as unsubscribed. But yeah, bet- between the idea being greenlit to the film being fully in the can was two months. Wow. That is some um, yeah. straight up Roger Corman shit right there. <laughs> like, I mean, honestly, it, it wouldn't have been possible if people weren't at home board and the oh, same with unsubscribe yeah. like we have charlie tahan from ozark is the bad guy in unsubscribe yeah. and like how did we get him we messaged him on instagram and he was bored at home like that's that's why he did that film um and it was a similar thing like the cinematographer that we used uh, on, on this film is some of that i had worked with extensively in my in my documentary work and we'd always connected on certain films and this was one of those type of films and I, so I messaged him. I said, "Are you are you doing anything? I haven't been doing anything for months. Of course, like I'm I'm in. Um, I, I never would like, I never would have been able to, to 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 really capitalize on that relationship if if it wasn't for the moment we were in. But yeah, it, it definitely is some Roger Corman shit. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because that's it what was, he would do. He would rush. just he would just four wall like drive-ins, and that's how he kind of uh, that's how he kind of got his whole shtick started, and never lost any money making movies." Um, but to, to just kind of, I heard about unsubscribe actually, like I probably like when it was getting its buzz, I remember seeing it on like CBS, uh, nat, the network news, CBS Saturday morning. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it yeah. was on there. I mean, honestly, for anybody listening, just 
you know, just Google search you and unsubscribe. And there's like a lot of hits on the internet. I think I just kind of like did a rehash of it before we hopped on the air here. And I think it's screen. There's something with screen. Oh uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, last time I looked, last time I looked, we, we were in, I think it was something like 200 something news outlets and like major news outlets covered it. We were in 114 countries and, and the articles were in like 46 different languages. Like it was like it, it, that story had legs. Like also like it was a moment when I think people were really looking for good news. There were no entertainment news stories out at that point. It was still the moment where drive throughs just started to reopen and start thinking about, oh, I guess we could be playing older films now. Like it really was, it was June. It was the start of June, 2020. So there was not a lot going on, especially in the entertainment world. And it was a dark time. Really, I remember like <laughs> everyone really grabbed onto it. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was also maybe like three weeks after all the George Floyd protests were happening. And so I think the news had been for weeks, rightfully so, but, but very somber and dark and angsty. And I, I, think, I think people were just looking for some light. And, um, and I think that that story kind of filled that void. Yeah, like congratulations on that. That's like, you know... I... My claim to fame is a, I made a little short with a robot that came to life in my house because I was bored. So that, that's like really, that's really cool. Congratulations on that. Thank you. Yeah, um, sir. Let's, uh, let's jump, let's jump to dash cam. This is, this is why we're here. This is just such a fun little, predominantly one location, but by the time we hit the third act, it expands out into New York city. I obviously assume. Um, just, I mean, you kind of did talk about like a little bit how it come to get, came together, but just expand out in a little more, if you can, like, obviously it seems with your background of working in media, obviously, I think that comes into play. Yeah. It's, uh, the idea of it being an editor in in one location. Um, I almost feel like it kind of wrote itself because even at that point, um, I was working for the Atlantic and, and was working from home, working on, on video content. Um, what also helped was the editor of of the film dash cam if if i was tim webb working in news my editor of this film was jake he was an editor i've worked with for 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 nearly 10 years um and so really kind of tapping into that relationship and like pushing it further i don't think i'm as unlikable or as much of an asshole as, as tim webb is i hope um but yeah it was it was fun to play like the, like to make jake a caricature of 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 this of, of terrence our editor make tim a a caricature of me in some way character is the wrong word but you know a, a a character out of them i follow you um and yeah and the idea of like how can we how can we lean into the restrictions that we're going to have filming and and make them strengths so i knew that i couldn't show a lot of things i didn't have the budget to show a lot of things so how can i how could i make you have a sense of suspense um playing with your other senses and so it's things like we never see the cop car because i could not get a cop car that's why it's mm. that's why the film's called bot uh, dash cam and not body cam because body cam you'd have to the cop would have to turn and see him that's why in the story when the cop turns the footage cuts out because <laughs> I, I i had to, I way had to, to think way my, to think yeah i had i had to know what my limitations were in telling the story and 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 write the film in a way that made those things suspenseful and so when the when the body cam cuts out the audience leans in 
so I, I, I had to, to, uh, to, to play with things in that way. Also, all the things that, that are around him, you hear the city outside, you hear the police sirens, you never see police sirens, you only hear police sirens, you hear people in the hallway, uh, you hear people playing with it, like, like all those things, I didn't have to show you or spend money on any of those things. So I was able to do a real mind fuck without, sorry, can I curse? I just did. Go the um, fuck ahead, man. <laughs> great, great. Um, but like, how, like how, can we, how can we make the limitations strengths, really? And so uh, that, that, was, that was a lot of fun to, to figure out. Uh, we filmed it over a course of uh, a bunch of nights. We rented an Airbnb. Um, they were quite cheap in New York City at that point. Um, and yeah, we had our cinematographer come in. He, he built a rig in the ceiling. Everything was pre-lit. So it was like on an iPad. So he was able to just, with a literal click of a button, all of the lights would change. And so we could move scene to scene without ever moving a light, um, which saved us a lot of time. Most of this film had a crew of two people. It would have been the cinematographer, myself, and the person doing audio was Jake. So uh, played Jake. So like it was, it was a, a real, a real small operation, but it also had to be because we were one of the first New York, uh, New York city shoots to even apply for permits for, for SAG approval and all of that. And so the rules were tight and being written while we were doing it. So we had to, we had to keep things uh, minimal. We had to keep things light and we had to keep things fast, but yeah, it, uh, I think in a lot of ways it, it made the movie stronger the third act when we got out, we go outside, it got, it got tough um, to, to, to really kind of sustain that uh, the, the experience. Cause now we don't, now we don't have a crew to, to light in New York city. Also, again, like it was, we were making this when a uh, protest in New York city, were at a real all time high and uh, we weren't really even allowed to be on the streets some nights when we were filming. That's why it's like so empty when you see Jake walking around as we were, we really were stealing shots everywhere. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a, it was the scrappiest project that I think that I've ever worked on. But when I watched the film back, um, I, I think it's the scrappiness that actually, uh, lend credit and, uh, merit to it. It's funny you say scrappy because I feel like it just has such a smooth, like vibe to it, but it also makes you feel very uneasy. I think you did a really good job capturing, you're kind of just in a, you're kind of isolated with the main character in the apartment. It feels like a, to a point that once he gets the phone call from the guy about the files, it just kind of, I just remember feeling like a chill shoot up my spine. Like, Oh no, he's alone. He's he, like, this is going South real quick. So it felt very Hitchcock at times. I just thought I'd drop some names here, but I, don't know, I, I thought it was a, I thought it was a good, a good job. It was yeah, I mean, th thank you. I, and I, the, 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 that sense of of, um, of isolation you're talking about, like and paranoia I, too. I, uh, paranoia, yeah. I mean, I I can't escape the fact that this is something of a of a pandemic flick. I don't I don't love that title that's being thrown on a lot of things. But I would say that this this film is definitely pandemic adjacent in that it definitely takes place within the mindset that all of us were in. Uh, especially at those earlier parts of the, of the pandemic. I mean, we're still out of it, but those earlier moments. Yeah. Like that, that, that sense of isolation of fear of, of do I trust what is being told to me? Um, the constant virtual gatherings that were ha happening, remote education, the, the disturbing evidence of police brutality that were all over the news, all of those things were so in that moment. And so while I, 
while I don't love the idea of it being called a pandemic movie, um, it definitely, again, pandemic adjacent, I would say. I feel you. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what else there is to say. Like right now, it's just because I don't want to give too much away because there's there's kind of a cool little ending at the end of it. But um, I don't know what more to say besides you did a really good job with like something that feels very small, but like or looks very small, but feels very grand in scale. Like I definitely felt the weight of the 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 problems in the movie. I do want to ask you, and I kind of know from personal experience. But like for anybody who sees the film and wants to know how exactly like even we can lump unsubscribe into this too. Like, how did you shoot something on a camera or on a computer? Sorry. How did you shoot like something that's all on a computer predominantly? So I would say the biggest learn for me was exactly that. I thought stupidly for I thought that it was just screen recording. The, like they, these movies were just like it was like actors moving things that as soon as i started working on this i realized that's not the case um because also so, like so many decisions when you're editing like things like there's a moment where uh jake is syncing up footage right the script says he just he like he syncs up these the, the two things but when i watched it i couldn't I knew that the audience would not know what he's doing. If you're not an editor, you would not know that he is syncing two things. So I added him right-clicking and he adds a marker and he says, like, body hits floor. And then he marks the other one and goes, body hits floor. And then he starts trying to line them up. And the audience goes, ah, like, I know what he's doing. But if I had just screen recorded that, we, I would have, like, we would have gotten into post being like, ah, this doesn't work at all. And then we would have constantly had to re- re- redo things like that. So when you're looking at the computer, it is completely built. It is all like all of like all of those applications are are built. All of those animations are are to mimic how they actually work. Um, things like even like the desktop with the folders, like that, like like I, I all that stuff is 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 there. And I would uh, I would even say like one of the um, like some little piece of trivia for the future maybe. Um, there's a gap if you look at the top bar of the of the Apple bar. There's a gap in it that I was going to add a clock because I wanted the movie to be in real time, and so I wanted so like I, I but I but I knew I would like that would have to be the last thing I added was the clock because if I like, that would be such a headache if we if we ever made a change to the movie. But then I add like very late in the film when it was way too way too late to change that uh, that top bar. I realized that the movie actually had to jump for about four hours and over the course of the, of the hour and a half. So that gap just exists on that bar. I just, I just never put a time on it because I didn't, I didn't want to draw attention to that. Um, but yeah, like all of that stuff is fake. And so every file that you see that is clicked, all of those things had to be built. And while we shot the film, like I was saying before, how I wrote and shot the film in under two months, um, it probably took about four months to just create all the screen elements. And there was a team of people that put that together. Like it was, it was the editor. It was myself working long hours every day. We had a a forager collective is an incredible post-production house uh, in New York city. And, and they had a team of of VFX artists that were, that were putting that together. And it is, it is the reason why I will never do a screen film ever again. Um, I, I knew it was hell when I made dash cam. It's probably one of the biggest reasons why it's not 
solely a screen film for 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 uh sorry, for unsubscribed was 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 hell and that's why dash game wasn't completely a screen film because i knew i had to break it up because it was it was just a nightmare to make it uh, and i thought having a team of people would make it easier and it doesn't like when i like i i was a fan of searching and i am a way bigger fan of it now knowing what that team must have gone through to to put together a movie that looked like that and i at least got to lean on existing applications they were creating things. They, they had, in addition to, to make an engaging story, they had to like design what the user experience of all of these applications is. So not not an easy thing. It's it's, like, it's crazy that it's, it's in the same genre as found footage because I feel like found footage and screen life are not the same um, the same amount of like work in, in post production. Really can can really be a really be a nightmare. It's probably really tedious. So um, <laughs> more power to you for getting that done. That's <laughs> like, I'm not, I'm not going to try and make a movie like that. Hell no. Um, yeah, people have asked like, do I have another screen movie in me? It's like, no, there will, <laughs> there's this, this, there are no more. Um, I'm, I'm writing something right now and someone's like doing something on a cell phone. I mean, even that felt like, even that was triggering. I was like, ah, no, 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 no screens. Well, I like this film, your other film, and th- th- I saw a couple like attempts at like Zoom movies during the pandemic. Another one was a uh, host that was like a Shutter original. I don't know if you heard of it. Mm-hmm. It was like oh, I'm familiar, and he th- that director actually has his own film called Dash Cam that's out right now too. What? Oh <laughs> yeah, literally, it's like it, like on Twitter today. He's just kind of batting away people, being like, "No, my movie's not released today because they had a big premiere uh, earlier oh, this week in London." Right, I think I looked him up because I had another director on a couple of weeks ago who has a film on shutter and I was like trying to connect some dots and maybe see who else, you know, I'm just shopping around for guests and whatnot. And I came across him and I was like, wait, he has a movie. It was like about right before we were about to do our interview. Like yeah. I was like, wait, his, wait, his who the film fuck am I talking to? Com- <laughs> yeah. His film is completely different, but they yeah. share a name. Um, his film looks great. I'm excited to see it. Um, not my film. You're right. Yes. Um, so as for your film, it's out today, just to kind of wrap things up here. It's out today. Uh, where can we see it if we want to watch it? Well, by the time this episode airs, it'll be in a couple days, it'll be out, but where can we watch it if we want to? So at the moment, I believe it's just available in the U S I think Canada is going to be released in the next couple of days. Um, it's on any rental and purchasing site available to stream. So your iTunes, your Voodoo's, Google Plays, YouTube, Vimeo's, Amazon Prime, all of the anywhere you can go and rent a a uh, film and stream it, uh, you'll be able to find our film. Uh, and we're hoping that in the next few weeks we'll have more information about an international release. Awesome, man! Awesome. Where can we maybe I don't know if we want to track you down on the internet or something, give you a follow. Where can where can we do that? Where can yeah. we find you? Um, yeah, my, my handles are all pretty easy. So, uh, it's, it's Xgen Nilsson and Xgen is almost like, uh, I guess like Xmas, uh, X I A N Nilsson N I L S S O N. Uh, and that's, yeah, you find me pretty much in everything that way. Cool, man. Well, I said it like three or four times already, but congratulations on the film. You did a great job. And thank you. Um, I, I might even just check it out again, just cause I really liked it so much. So, uh, thank you for a great show, Christian. This was awesome. 
And um, as for all of you, we will, I, we, I'm not going to see you next week because we're dropping a ton of episodes here on the basement. So in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe, hit the like button, do the thing. And we'll talk to you on the next one. Take care.